and talking to our friends. Hellboy Book Club. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Oh, we love us. I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Trackbine. Hey guys, how's it going? Doing all right. Doing How well. Are you? This is an all Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy stories and we're interweaving them into our own reading order. We're using Mignolaversity's own Mark Tweedell. He's helping us to construct our intricate reading order. It's a little bit more detailed than the reading order that he has on the Mignolaversity webpage. And every week we engage with our listeners. Danielle's going to tell you all about it. <laughs> oh, so we, we're going to talk about it. We're going to read a story and then you're going to we're going to talk about it. And then you're going to listen to that us reading the story and talking about it. And then you talk about it. You tell us what you thought about it because you also read it because we told you what to read ahead of time. And then this time we're going to tell you what to read for next time. So then you read it and then you talk about it. And it's a book club and friendship. Yeah. Back to you, John. You yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't mention this enough. We're so lucky to have Matt Strackbine Matt on Strackbein. regularly. Aww. Thank you so much for joining us again, Matt. And I wanted to give you a chance to promote your plugs. I just started art directing for a whole new series of educational history comics. This time nice. we're expanding outside of Colorado and we're doing more national topics nice. for a wider audience. So that is fun That's and exciting. Cool. Yeah, I'm awesome. working with a whole variety of writers and artists. It's really fun. You can check me out on Twitter where I'm posting a whole bunch of original comic strips and also comic strips that are surprisingly popular to me. Like, <laughs> lots of people are into them. I'm making fun of or doing comics about the independent media that's talking about politics. Right, right. On the one hand, I, I like to support those people. Uh, you know, like I said, they're listener supported and independent but also they're not over polished <laughs> professional mainstream media so it's really easy to like just hear them say something and make a comic about it in real time right. yeah. and twitter is my captive audience so it's kind of a niche but also everyone's just sitting there waiting for a comic so it's fun so nice. check that out yeah and of course i'm doing the letter hacks podcast which is my own podcast and i've started a new series in 2020 called the voodoo sleep yeah and and it's just kind of more traditional storytelling so i've been enjoying those episodes yeah I yeah they're to, a little weird i need to catch up on your podcast but i've been enjoying your comics they're really great oh thanks a lot i appreciate it all right, and now we're going to go on to our listener feedback section. You read a story, we talk about it. You hate them guys, us, and it's a book club. Get out. We got a Hey You Damn Guys from Dan Elders. Dan Elders. Book club member. Yeah, there we go. He titled his message, Fuck the Black Flame. Oh, shit. <laughs> He yes. Said, hey, you damn guys. Been meaning to write you all uh, HYDG since I've started listening way back in the beginning, but was always too shy. Don't be shy, Dan. You know, I'm going to read it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I've been a huge Hellboy fan since I found the first trade in high school and have been regularly rereading the series for almost 20 years now. Somehow, I never really got around to finishing BPRD or their other spinoff series and instead stuck to the stories with HB in them. So I thank you for starting the show. Y'all got me into the greater Mignolaverse, and I wouldn't have known how much else there was without you. 
Love hearing the awesome insights every week. Keep up the great work. That's cool. Yeah, thank you so much. He said, I wanted to throw my hat in Matt's corner regarding his letter on the release of Rise of the Black Flame. Even as someone who's only finished the full run of BPRD over the last year, enough with this fucking Nazi goober already. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean... Exactly. I've always felt like one of the best features of the Mignolaverse is how different it felt than Big Two Comics, but this little shit has come in and soured it. Constantly bringing back the same villain, even if they made him spooky and buff, was just too much for me sometimes. (laughs) Oh no. Why does this goon get a second chance and our sweet boy Roger gets a raw deal? I don't know if Roger yep. got a raw deal. He seems like he's he's in a good. Uh, place. Yeah, they left him in a nice yeah. little in that little epilogue on I wouldn't, I wouldn't the Universal mind Machine. Out yeah, there. that seems good. But yeah, epi- I'm going to reserve comment. <laughs> <laughs> but the episode on Rise was awesome as always. So I guess I have to go read about this jerk again. Y'all are the best. Love listening every Tuesday. Keep it up. Awesome. Aww, yeah, you. that was a great letter. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dan. We also got a hey you damn guys gal. From Eve to Ringy. And this was an awesome piece of feedback. He said, with regard to Lobster Johnson and what makes him tick, I think, well, Robert B. Parker, who wrote the Spencer series of Private Eye novels, may be able to shed some light. I happen to be currently reading his 1971 doctoral dissertation entitled The Violent Hero Wilderness Heritage and Urban Reality, a study of the private eye in the novels of Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler, and Ross MacDonald. The hard-boiled pulp stories that inspired Lobster Johnson, in particular the ones by Dashiell Hammett, author of The Maltese Falcon, among other and better works, he says, (laughs) featured precisely the kind of hero we see in Johnson. I don't think I can do justice, no pun intended, to his thesis, so I'll just quote some paragraphs that seem relevant. Quote, In many of the early short stories and in Red Harvest, the op, the continental op, that's the character's name, op meaning operative, is not finally engaged in solving a crime so much as he is engaged in rooting out evil. The hero must pursue truth into peril. In Red Harvest, he very early discovers that the city that he has been sent to is mob-controlled and thoroughly corrupt. The control is divided among three mobs and the Graf Riddle police force. The op, without... Home Office Authorization decides to clean up Personville. By simple formula, divide and conquer, by setting the various elements of the town against each other, the op succeeds in the destruction of the entire corrupt establishment in a welter of corpses and harvest of blood, which gave the novels its name. The characteristics of Hammett's tough guys can be schematized as follows. He is free of sentiment, of the fear of death, of the temptation of money and sex, He is what Albert Camnus calls a man without memory, free of the burden of the past. He is capable of any action without regard to conventional morality, and thus is apparently as immoral or immoral as his antagonist. His refusal to submit to the trammels which limit ordinary mortals results in a godlike immunity and independence. Beyond the power of his enemies, he has, under the control of pure power that is needed to reach goals, to answer questions and to solve mysteries to reconstruct the possible motivations of the guilty and innocent alike. The price he pays for his power is to be cut off behind his own self-imposed mass in an isolation that no criminal in a community of crime has to face. It sounds like Batman. It sounds like you're describing Batman right now. Yeah, exactly. So, Well, Batman was based on those pulp pictures. That's what I'm saying. He's been distilled 
from all of this. That's super interesting to and think about that he's, he's like got a, a modern version. Of, sorry. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And he's got a couple more relevant quotes, but basically he says, you replace the private eye or the ob with other similar phrases with the lobster and the quotes above, and you end up with a comprehensive portrait of the lobster. I also mentioned that Red Harvest was published in 1929, so I'll let you draw your own conclusions from that. So 1929 is right before the lobster. Like, that's where his story kind of kicks off. You know what I mean? So you could almost say that the Continental Op, the lobster picks up where that leaves off. Right on. Yeah. He says, when the operative is bribed and offered money, he rejects this as bristly. You think I'm a man and you're a woman. That's wrong. I'm a manhunter and you're something that's been running in front of me. There's nothing human about it. In other words, justice. Uh-huh. Hiss of a hot brand hitting rapidly cooling forehead flesh. Nice. <laughs> nice. Wow. In summary, the hard-boiled pulp detective driven by a personal moral code who operates outside of societal bounds is an established archetype in the 1920s and 1930s fiction. Eve Turingi, book club member. Yeah. Nice. Thank you so nice. much, man. That was great. That was incredible. Yeah. And there was so much more that he was able to quote. And he also posted a picture of the book that that dissertation is from. Was that a was that an email? Yes, that was from our emails. Can you uh, forward that to me? I sure will. I should actually post it. Let me see if I can figure out a way to post it. It would be hard to do on Instagram, but I could definitely do it on Facebook. We also got a Hey You Damn Guys from Christian Stanfield. Just wanted to drop a quick note to say that I absolutely love the podcast. I'm currently on episode 16, listening oh, wow. in the car every chance I get. Also, while folding laundry, nice. I listen to podcasts yeah. a lot when I'm folding laundry. Like that is my yeah. that's one of my podcast activities. I just refuse to fold laundry. So. <laughs> <laughs> he says I first gave Hellboy a chance about five or so years ago, perhaps after belatedly seeing the first movie, and I just couldn't get into it. It was a bit of a letdown, to be honest, after all the great things folks had to say about it. So I moved on. I read a lot of different comics, and that was that. Then last year I saw The Golden Army and I was like, what the heck? Let me give this book another try. And it was like, boom, right hand of doom to the pleasure center. Pushed all the right buttons and I've been reading everything I can get my hands on. After kind of reading around in no particular order for a few months, I got all the omnibuses trades for Hellboy and BPRD. Then shortly after that, I discovered your podcast. So I've pretty much been synced up since then. I've actually read all the Hellboy omnibuses except Hellboy in Hell. So, yeah, maybe you could be following Ooh, along with nice. us. Uh, there you go. That's the only one I haven't read yet. One of my favorite things about the podcast is trying to anticipate when Danielle is going to say horrible, horrible <laughs> in response to some scene or development <laughs> oh, in the no. plot. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that happened more in the BPRD stories. I am a little stories, predictable. Think, yeah. Well, there was a lot of horrible stuff in yeah, there. <laughs> anyway, what are you going to do? He says, anyway, keep up the great work. You guys have an amazing thing going and are creating an awesome community here. No, buddy. We have an awesome thing going. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I also want to plug Christian's band. He's in a band called Side Street Steppers. I thought it was appropriate to uh, mention them at SideStreetSteppers.com because they're playing music from America's past. Rare and popular music from the 1920s and 30s, dubbed the golden age of gramophone recording, the two decades between the 1920 and World War II saw the rise of jazz and the birth of blues, the demise of ragtime and the emergence of hillbilly music that would become known through the world as country music. The Side Street Steppers present a pastiche of this transformation of the American musical landscape, performing on vintage and homemade instruments. Get ready for plenty of hip-shaking, foot-stomping, caterwauling, and crooning. That's pretty neat. Yeah, it was really cool. And Christian plays banjo, and he sings. 
And like he said, they make some of their own own instruments. And he sent me pictures of this amazing Batman banjo or Batjo that he made. (laughs) It is incredible. And he's considering making a Hellboy themed one next. Oh, wow. Cool. Totally do that. That's super fun. Yeah. So go check out their band. If I get Christian's permission, I'll put like a little bit of their music in here. The sights of the modern age are to carry all the latest news, but believe me. And back in those early episodes, we also talked about a lot of comics that we liked. Christian mentioned Chu, The Goon Universe, Lock and Key, Monstrous by Marjorie Liu. Have you ever read that? It's really awesome. It's a beautiful book. The Walking Dead by Image, just the comics. He hasn't seen the TV show. He mentioned he made sure to mention that. As for Capes and Heroes, Astro City, The Boys, Invincible, which I know you love. I love Invincible. Planetary and Powers by Bendez. Yeah, so thank you for all that feedback. And what I love is those last three listener feedbacks are from people that we haven't heard from before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so Welcome I just new love that. Friends, new book club members. Of course. You're yes. our friends, and we're, it's a book club. Back to and you, John. And that reminds me to interrupt. That reminds <laughs> Please do. Me, there was a goon Hellboy crossover. Yes. Yes. We're going to have to get to that. We'll do another crossover episode. Maybe I'll save that for like Halloween of this year. Because, you know, the Goon universe is amazing. He's right about that. Anybody who hasn't read the Goon is missing out. I've only read the first, like, trade or so, and then some short stories here and there. But I do like it. I just haven't been able to take a deep dive. But I've actually been able to meet Eric Powell, and he was so oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, he was a really nice guy, and I got to talk to him. So, yeah, it Can makes me Can we put wonder. a little warning, though, for people who are like, oh, I'll pick this book. It's super fucking weird. Yeah. It's, it's super fucking well, yeah, weird. So, if you can, I'm just saying, like, you know. If you can't, you know, I'm just like, you know, fair warning for people who are just like, do do do, comic book time, you know, content about. warning. It's yeah. super fucking also, weird. Also, the so. boys, you know, the boys is pretty messed up. Also, but I've never read it. I probably won't. The we, TV show's pretty good. I've yeah, never seen it. Yeah. I probably won't. We also heard back from the amazing symbiote on Instagram. Yeah. The amazing what? Symbiote. <laughs> symbiote. Symbiotes. <laughs> Tell us which one is correct. Symbiote? <laughs> Don't tell us which one is correct. He's following the reading order on Mignolaversity and listening to the podcast in that order after reading it. I hope that's what everybody's doing. I hope, you know, the intention of the show is for you to read it first and then listen to the podcast, you know? So that that is my intention. Not everybody has to do that. And then tell us. Tell us what you thought about <laughs> it. And then you send us a hate. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he says... Um, Kind of cool to read it and then hear you guys talk about stuff. And I can remember the panels you are discussing. Keep killing it. I, I was mentioning him. There's that link with Mark Tweedo. You know, he wrote the University reading order and he's also kind of writing ours. And so he said that was amazing. I love to see the community coming together. Can't wait for the devil, you know, omnibus so I can read that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm excited we'll be able to get to that probably the, later this year. Ooh, that's exciting yet yeah it's bittersweet right yeah yeah careful what you wish for (laughs) i'll never be careful what i wish for (laughs) some feedback on lobster (laughs) i never will never gonna make that genie sign the contract (laughs) (laughs) 
Some feedback on Lobster Johnson the Pirate's Ghost. Ryan Rollinson said, The genuine romance is pretty hard to come by in the Mignolaverse, so I appreciated the hell out of Harry and Cindy. Yeah, and I didn't think about that. There aren't a lot of romances. Like, um, no. Kate and Bruno, and then that ended very kind of, you know, fizzled, fizzled that was on out, a yeah. sad note. And then yeah. there was kind of like a Hellboy Alice thing, but then that also kind of ended on a really sad note. So, so far this has been the least sad one, even though they didn't end up together. At least not whoa, one of them died. <laughs> whoa, whoa, they haven't ended up together yet. Oh. We don't know what happened after. Yeah, you know, you're like, absolutely right. Because like, he may have gone to Chicago after Lobster left uh, to go fight Nazis in Germany. Right. Nicholas Orizaga said, I totally forgot to mention this last week, but I love the panel where Harry says, a few gold medals doesn't make a man an actor, obviously. Hollywood clearly didn't agree, as aside from the 1920s Olympic swimming gold medalist Johnny Weissmuller playing Tarzan for MGM starting in 1932, Buster Crabby was also an Olympic gold medal winner playing the lead role in a competing series called Tarzan the Fearless. Not to be outdone, Olympic silver medalist for the shot put Herman Bricks, later known as Bruce Bennett, played the part of Tarzan in an independently produced serial called The New Adventures of Tarzan, which was distributed by Burroughs Tarzan Enterprises in 1935. This was one year after MGM's original two-picture deal had expired with Tarzan and his mate, but a year before they got the rights back for Tarzan Escapes. So there was a little bit of a leeway there. There was like the Tarzan Wars. Yeah, and those are the ones that Harry and Cindy are watching. Can say Tarzan sucks? We don't talk enough about how much Tarzan sucks. <laughs> Last but not least, in 1938, 20th Century Fox produced Tarzan's Revenge, starring Olympic decathlon gold medalist Glenn Morris in the titular role. Sometimes reality is crazier than fiction, which makes me like Harry McTell's story even more. Yeah, so I love nice. that. Thank you so much. What kind of tea you got over there? We got um, some Slippery Elm. Helps me lose my throat. Right on. Jerry Turnbull said... Jerry Turnbull! We were talking about Rando Hatton last week, remember? And how Guy Uh Davis had kind of drawn Harry McTell to look like him. Jerry Turnbull said, John Arcudi wrote a great Wii series called The Creep. The main character is the same as Rando Hatton. He has the same face. Oh, wow. Yeah. Rando played a character called The Creeper in two of his films. And one of the issues has a variant cover by Mignola. Yeah, so there's another nice. Rando Hatton connection. And Mignola also won the Rado Hatton Award for In the Chapel of Moloch. Yeah, so I should have looked up. I, I didn't even know what the Rando Hatton Award is. I should have looked that up. Anyway, thank you, Jerry, for that. Mark Tweedell said, I love that Isog's plan in the first story and the last story revolves around a ghost hoax. He's obscenely consistent. So in the first one, they were playing at the Black Flame as right. a ghost. Yeah. And then in the last one, the, the pirate's ghost. Just yeah. obsessed with Scooby-Doo, <laughs> apparently. He says, I don't know that we'll ever find out what the lobster is, but if we ever do, I think it'll be for the better. Before BPRD Plague of Frogs, we all knew about Abe Sapien, that he was a guy in a tube, and Mignola liked that. There was a part of him that didn't want to do an Abe Sapien origin, and yet eventually it grew in his head until it had to be told. What's so great about it was that it didn't really answer any questions, but instead posed bigger and weirder ones. I feel like that's what he'd do with the lobster if he ever decided to explore what he is. The answer would be more baffling than the question. It wouldn't take away the mystery of the character. It would deepen it. That said, I can't imagine what that could possibly be, and I'm more than happy to leave the lobster's origin alone. As for future Lobster Johnson stories, I think we'll see a shift in tone after the pirate's ghost. We've crossed a threshold there... 
where we can never see the character the same way again, which is exciting. It opens up the series to tell different kinds of stories. And Jason Abaddon said, Listening to Danielle compare the lobster to Batman, I pictured the lobster as a child walking home from the seafood market with his parents and the lobsters they'd (laughs) bought for dinner. Suddenly, they're robbed at gunpoint and shot. His mother drops her groceries. And her pearls. If I see one more fucking panel with those goddamn pearls. And the small round crackers spill on the ground like pearls. crackers. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Jason Abaddon. Book club member. Book club member. Thank you for that. We had some feedback on Rise of the Black Flame, our story from last week when I posted the teaser with those mind-blowing covers by Campbell and Stewart. Jules Olivero said, I love the different ways of incorporating the skull image in the covers. My favorite among these is the issue two, Skull-Shaped Sun. Amazing covers by Lawrence Campbell. Yeah, that was great. And Eddie White... So fucking metal, a skull-shaped sun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Eddie White asked... Are you going to have Matt Strachbein call in so he can say, kill the Black Flame, I'd pay for that. And I was like, yes, he's on the episode all the time. Yeah. (laughs) That arc was the first time where I was like, okay, I can see more purpose for the Black Flame rather than everything that had come before that, where he was just this like egomaniac with a mysterious ability (laughs) who wouldn't quit, who wouldn't die and stay dead or there was a oh now there's a new version of him right, or an right. old version <laughs> but so after so yeah i mean always i'm looking the at these flame. pages i'm just looking at these pages matt's pages the matt's yeah. pa- i'm sorry yeah matt's pages oh, that, right. that, says, that say kill the black flame on there it's yeah. just so funny watching <laughs> listening to you t- say all of this and then looking at the panels where you're just suffering over this yeah it's Very incredible all true um but the uh at the dentist's office just so offended <laughs> but the, um now yeah, i'm glad you have those pages yeah <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad they're in that spot um so i didn't realize you were doing the podcast in the same room that's awesome oh yeah uh, it's front but, and center um, my man so the rise of the black flame was the first time where i was like you know i think the word avatar is key um that's what they kept calling right it. right there is a greater power and i didn't mention this i don't even know if i should but sometimes like my commentary on this stuff is from the point of view of someone who has read it all the way through but doesn't want to give anything away right and especially doesn't want to drop like deliberately drop hints right i don't want to do yes yeah so i keep asking i keep asking the questions that occurred to me when i first read it yeah hopes that you guys will see some sort of a path of how you should be thinking about this stuff going forward. And the main takeaway in that regard from rise of the black flame podcast episode is when I was saying, what is the power behind the darkest version of that power? So what's evil, just plain old evil. That's weird. Is it opposition between dark and light? Is that natural? Is that good and bad? I don't know. So that's, you know, the, I think if anyone, we're all right to hate the Black Flame in all of his versions. How, whenever he pops up, and if he popped up again, we should continue to want him dead. But <laughs> as far as Rise of the Black Flame goes, there's a bigger question. And I like that they use this villain you hate so much to convey that question. Yeah, it really kind of blurs that line, too, a little bit. Yeah. Awesome. And we had some great feedback from Mark Tweedell. 
Oh, wait, I forgot to mention this. Uh, Jerry Turnbull, he also mentioned, uh, he pointed out to me that that bas relief that they see in the museum, in the Bode Museum, is actually a real thing. So, yeah, I posted that in our post this week. Thanks, Jerry, for that research assist. And he also pointed out, remember, Matt, you were asking where Hecate is referred to as Gorgon's Eye? Yeah. It's in Hellboy Wake the Devil, when all those birds are flying by, and that's one of the things they say. Mark Tweedell said... Rise of the Black Flame is a good example of how a chronological reading order of the Hellboy universe is less rewarding. At least for first-time readers, you get so much more out of the story after having read BPRD and Lobster Johnson. I think it's safe to say we need a Sarah Jewell series. Damn straight. She was badass. I would love to have her and Kate somehow doing something. You know, I was thinking about that. Like, it could be one of the, like, a kind of like a Gal Dunar situation where there's, like, Something happening in 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 two different times, oh, sure. but they're kind of mirroring each other, sure, like yeah. some sort of weird time. We've seen that so many times where there's like some weird time travel yeah. element where like something's happening in the past at the same time that it's happening in the future. Or, honestly, th- I mean, this it's lousy with ghosts. Yeah, so we could just like, be in another ghost oh, situation. Yeah, I mean, yeah. ghosts are pretty much a super normal thing, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. no, they do exist in, in this, this universe. Yeah, he also said, "Here's some of Hecate's names: Heka Eminra." Neb Agaroth, Black Hecata, the Black Goddess, Goddess of Crossroads, Witch Queen, Kali, Queen of Night, Enemy of Sun, Gorgo Mormo, Moon of a Thousand Suns. I forgot how to say this. Moon of a Hundred Ghosts. And Urshagal, though some may debate this one. And we talked about that a little bit last week. Ross Radke responded to that and he said, so wasn't there a connection between Liz and Hecate, the Black Goddess? That was some sort of red herring, or did I get my wires crossed somewhere along the way? DM me if the answer is spoilery. I'm not wrong in thinking that there is an intentional yin-yang type dichotomy between the black flame and the vril. Fire that corrupts versus fire of cleansing. And Mark Tweedo responded to him and he said, You're not wrong at all. As the world expands, they reinforce this time and time again. Matt touched on this a bit too, and I tend to agree with him. I think the vril and the black flame as order and chaos. But I like corruption and cleansing too. I wouldn't call either one evil. Taken to extremes, both could destroy the world. Utter chaos leads to utter ruin. Utter order leads to sterility. And I think this is reflected in Hecate, too. On her own, she isn't evil as such. She's simply what humanity makes of her. Speaking of character origins, Rise of the Black Flame does something really interesting by introducing all these girls that have varying degrees of ability to tap into the Vril, then corrupting their ability making them tap into the Black Flame. It gives us a better understanding of Liz Sherman without ever explicitly exploring her origin or directly even talking about it. There's just this faint suggestion that we might be able to connect some of this to her, and that's it. For people who need answers, they can dig around this universe and find fragments enough to cobble something together. But for those that don't, the mystery remains blissfully intact. There's a bigger conversation here, but we can't really get to it yet. Sigh, future stories so very far away. Thank you, Mark. That was so awesome. Yeah, so, yeah. super awesome. So you think about this like, yeah, they do show these different girls have abilities to tap into whatever because they showed that girl in, yeah. and the ground was burned around her and stuff like that. that. And that ended up being Kamala. Yeah, so that says so much more about Liz. Like she could be corrupted one way or another. So maybe yeah. that's what Memnon Sa was trying to do. When he had her in the Black God, I mean that that series was called the Black Goddess, and then he's got her in that thing with you. Remember all that? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in, in, in Rise of the Black Flame, they showed wildlife had been touched by it, right? I think. Isn't so. that 
what I, I feel like that like we were like what kind of animal was that remember there was like a muskrat oh yeah oh, right right yeah i feel like that thing was all black with red eyes yeah, I thought that that was just because it was at night, though. Like, just you know, a some, sometimes choice. sometimes animals look like that at night. It looks like their yeah. eyes are glowing. I thought that was just like a red herring because it it showed up with yeah. the, all black with the red yeah. eyes and the scream, and then it mm. ran off, and then it turned out You're to be probably something right. else. That's interesting, though. And uh, thank you, Ross. He also mentioned it's called a binturong, also called a bear cat. <laughs> we were wondering what that animal was. Right. <laughs> I love binturong. It sounds like a Pokemon name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it does. Also, what he was talking about as far as order and chaos, what if chaos is order, man? Something to think about. <laughs> oh, okay. then what would chaos about. be? Good grief. Yeah. <laughs> right? We had some more um, interesting discussion on the connection to Hecate and Urshagal from Adam at I Break the Stuff on Twitter. And so I think this is someone that we haven't heard from either. So I'm glad to get some new listener feedback. He said... New friend. He said, I have some thoughts. I don't think Hecate is Urshagal. Hecate admits she was born out of the belly of a wolf and came out of the shadow of the moon. But we also know that the dragon, the Ogdru Jihad, birthed the first life on Earth, the Ogdru Hem. This would indicate that there were no wolves for Hecate to be born out of. We also know that she came into the world around this time of the first men, and the Ogdru Jihad clearly predate this too. There are other inconsistencies with her being a creation deity of darkness and chaos. For one, she seems awfully easy to contain, curse, and control. Thoth forced her to take the form of a snake and made her unable to bear the light of the sun, and Igor Bromhead imprisoned her using only her name. Hellboy was even able to easily destroy her physical form in a matter of minutes. She doesn't seem all that powerful to me. She's also described as a sister to the Ogre Jihad rather than a parent, which since she gave life, you'd assume that description was more apt. These facts incline me to believe a few things. Urshigal isn't a deity of creation. In fact, if you hold the idea that Urshigal and Hecate are separate, the former has never created anything in the canon, only imbued existing beings with life and power. She breathed life into the Ogdru Jihad, but others created it. Hecate was born of a wolf and granted power by Urshigal. The Black Flame was a man, but given power by Urshigal. These heralds might go on to create other life, but Urshigal itself doesn't seem capable of that. Ultimately, I don't think it was Hecate that appeared to Ryman Dystal. It was Urshigal. Those eyes, the you know the evil version of the eyes. You yeah. know what I mean, like right, right. or this black flame version of the eyes. I love that interpretation. I think that ties everything together really well. I thought um, that was so well stated. Thank you so much, Adam. Nice. Wes Mattis was excited by Mark Tweedo's comments. He said, "This story I haven't read in so long, and I'm so excited to read it again, especially now with so many more dots in the universe connected by being a part of the book club." And Lobster20,000 said, This is one of my favorite stories Chris Robertson has done in the Mignolaverse. Mitten's art is incredible. And Nathaniel Green gave me a shout out on all the research that I do. There was so much historical fiction within that story last week. And he said, The amount of research enriches the experience of following the podcast so much. You might have ruined other podcasts for me. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that, <laughs> Nathaniel, because it takes a lot of time to research these things. Yeah. I like the idea that we're ruining other podcasts for people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Thank you so much, you guys, for the awesome listener feedback section this week. I was so happy to hear from all these new listeners. I hope to hear from you again. And now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week we're talking about Hellboy in Hell. And we're going to start with the Volume 2 Prologue. This three-page prologue appeared in the second Hellboy in Hell trade paperback, The Death Card, in October 2016. These pages are also featured as the last pages of the Hellboy in Hell Library Edition. However, they are not included in the Hellboy in Hell Omnibus or the single issues. I wonder why that is. In the trade paperbacks, there was uh, there was a big um, divide between the Volume 1 and the Volume 2. Technically, the prologue comes after the Three Gold Whips, which is the story that we're about to read, but Mark thought it would go excellent here, especially since we've been away from Hellboy and Hell for a couple months now. And so, yeah, it works perfectly well here, even though it would actually come to separate those two trades. I have no way of knowing if this is true. It's pure speculation. But this prologue, to me, reads like somebody told him, okay, Mike, we need you to do a prologue. And he was like, oh, really? Can't we just keep going with the story? And they're like, nope, we need a quick three-pager. And he's like, all right, fine. I'm going to do it exactly how I want to do it. Right. (laughs) It's just going to be animals talking. Right. You know? (laughs) It's awesome. Yeah, I really love this. Art and story by Mignola, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. And so we open in the thrice nice... We open in the thrice... (laughs) (laughs) We open beyond the thrice nine lands in the thrice tenth kingdom, and we see the familiar chicken leg house of the Baba Yaga. Absolutely my jam. Yeah, I'm already excited about this. (laughs) We last saw the Baba Yaga way back in Hellboy the Storm and the Fury. There she helped Hellboy reach Nimue in exchange for his left eye. And there she told Hellboy that the world is done with her, and she was in a dream of Russia long gone until the world ends. And so I think that's where we are here, right? It's a gorgeous page. And so we see this little frog sitting on some bones. Is it true? Hellboy is dead, he asks. A gossipy little frog. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, the Baba Yaga responds, and we see her left eye is orange. That's Hellboy's eye, right? I like that Mm -hmm. little detail. Yeah, super good. I wonder if Dave Stewart was just like, oh, yeah, I got to make this eye. Remember when I did a lot? Or if Scott Alley was like, hey, remember this eye is. yeah. Yeah. I always wonder about stuff like that. Anyway, please continue. Sorry. How did it happen, the bird asks. He fought and killed a dragon, the Baba Yaga says, but that dragon was actually a witch. Her ghost plucked out his heart and cast it into hell. What does he do there, the cat asks. <laughs> he went into pandemonium and cut Satan's throat, the Baba Yaga responds. No, the frog exclaims. He didn't, says the cat. He the did. animals are all awfully worried about Satan. Yeah. I don't think they're really worried about Satan. I think it's more like the, oh my God, he yes. did. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. He did, the Baba Yaga responds. Scandalous. <laughs> <laughs> now all hell is in turmoil. Slaves turn upon their masters and tear them to pieces. Hellboy's brothers and his scheming uncle rot in the belly of the Leviathan. And so that's Astaroth and his two brothers. And Hellboy the bird ass? He wanders his new world, the Baba Yaga responds. He has been told that he is free, that this is a chance to begin again. He wants to believe it. Poor creature. Whether he knows it or not, he is in the grip of his fate. It is hard upon him, and in the end, well, we shall see. And so the art is incredible okay. in yeah. this recap. Yeah, we got to talk about the art here. So when we see the Baba Yaga, she's got all the skulls behind her, but they don't have any lights in the eyes. 
Remember, she right, used yeah. all the power well, yeah. to help Kashi fight Hellboy. To help Kashi kill Hellboy. Yeah. And how'd that work out for you, Bob Young? Really I, looking forward to Mignola's art as well. Yeah, yeah. It's really yeah. nice to see this again. I like where Baba Yaga says, uh, and now all hell is in turmoil, which basically means all hell is broken loose in hell. Right, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. Um, but also, I don't know how else to describe the prologue and the two issues we're about to read other than this is like a Hellboy children's book for adults. Like right. they're in hell, <laughs> horrible stuff is happening. I know he's always had animals talking, especially in prologues, but like this prologue, I'm glad Mark put it at the front of these two issues because this really sets the tone for what I can only describe as like a cute story that takes right, place in yeah. hell. <laughs> like there are cute moments. Like I haven't really, I don't know if you could call them downright cute. There's always great moments throughout Hellboy that are touching or whatever. But yeah. since Roger's demise, there hasn't been like a cute character, right? Like Roger was cute. Like memory put on pants. Yeah. <laughs> right? so, so like there are moments in Hellboy and Hell that are like that. And I think these two issues really, I, I think he's having a good time. Hellboy's kicking it in hell. And I think Manola is just having fun with it. Yeah. And, and I did want to mention this. So if you recall way back in the short story, the Baba Yaga, after Hellboy shot out her eye, there were these three animals talking and there were these three animals, the frog, the bird and the cat. And they announce and they talk about the Baba Yaga being dead after she lost her eye to Hellboy. And then this bear comes by and says, she's just gone away and she can never die as long as Russia endures. And so, yeah, it's a nice little callback to see those animals again. Yeah, so I love that little prologue. I like that Mark put it here. And next we're going to talk about Hellboy in Hell, The Three Gold Whips. This is a one-shot that was published in December of 2013. Story and art by Mignola, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. There's also a Comics Pro variant cover, which was released that features another Mignola cover of Hellboy and that skull bowl that they go inside. Okay, yeah, that's pretty cool. All right, and so we open Somewhere in Hell. And so this Mignola art on this opening page is just incredible. I really love this. Every page in Hellboy in Hell is a work of art. Some are are true standouts, but every single page has incredible value. Yeah, and it was making me think about, you know, the last story where we picked up, Edward Gray kind of, he kind of lied to Hellboy because... You know, he mentioned when he was talking to the painting of Jacob Weir that Hellboy still had more stuff that he had to do. But what he told Hellboy is that he was free to just live in hell. And then Hellboy was like, all right. And he lit a match. And then here we just see him sitting there. So I wonder how much time has passed. Did he just light that match and sit down to smoke right there? And then this guy walks up or has it been like days, weeks or months since that happened? Well, I was going to say. The very first caption box where it says somewhere in hell should maybe say some time in hell because time is very strange. Oh, and they mentioned that, yeah. Yeah. And so as Hellboy's sitting there, this man will learn his name is Jules DeLoe. He comes up and he asks for Hellboy's help in finding the cemetery. And I love this where he's just like, excuse me, sir, I hate to bother you. And Hellboy just looks up. I just love that panel of Hellboy, just the expression on his face. And he says, it's all right. I wasn't doing anything. I, I just love that response, too, because he's literally yeah. just, 
you know, he's free in this moment. He's not on any kind of mission. He's not trying to discover the origins of his hand or all this other <laughs> kind of stuff. He's just like, Chilling. I'm not doing anything. I just love that response. And so he asks him to find this large cemetery. Hellboy hasn't seen it. But he says he'll help the man look for it. And the man, you know, he's really gracious, Dulo. And you wouldn't by any chance know the time, he asks Hellboy. I'm afraid time's a bit of an issue for me. Time, Hellboy asks. No, sorry. No idea. Oh, I hope you won't mind me saying, you look as though you've knocked around a bit. Are you a soldier? Something like that, Hellboy says. I guess. I was. And so here they also mention that Hellboy looks like rough and tattered, and we'll kind of see that a little bit more. They kind of mention it here, and then we'll see. Some, we'll talk about it again later. But I also love the mood-setting panels in here with the statues and all that yeah. kind of stuff. It's just really, um, those little details just really, I, I just love this Mignola art coming back. It's like a, I don't know, it feels like going back to a familiar friend or something yeah. like that. You know yeah. what I mean? That pacing, I guess. The man tells his tale. He was a soldier. And we get this panel of all red with like um, somebody on the horse with a sword, followed by this stark white panel. I really love that. And we see all the dead bodies. So that, that's, there's a lot of storytelling right there. And the captain is telling two others, no more. Dulo had had enough. So the three of them went and hid in an old church. And I love that bong sound effect too from the church. Yeah. And at midnight... A devil appeared to bargain for their souls. He offered each of them a whip and promised them seven years of living like kings. Whips, Hellboy asks. Magic whips, Dulas says. You only had to crack them at the ground to make gold coins appear. And then the, I love that little snap panel. We see like a little depiction of the whip creating the gold coins. It's a very convenient whip. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice, right? And or I'm a- is it? Is it? Ooh. And I'm ashamed if, if you if you ignore the fine print, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm ashamed to say that just then we did think it was fair. And then so we see this statue there, and a green tear drops from its eye, and it says "drip." And so remember, in those last stories, we talked a lot about Lethe. Lethe was the underworld river of oblivion and its goddess. The shades of the dead drank of its waters to forget their mortal lives. And so we talked a lot about that. Um, you had your, your theory going on, Matt, but they hearkened back to that, the green water coming out. And then there would be these up-close panels of just all green. And so they're right. kind of like calling back to that here. I really love that. And so in the flashback, we see the devil. And it's like this dragon-looking thing, right? And so we've seen that, too, that a lot of times these devils or whatever, they look like dragons when Hellboy fought the dragon yeah. and stuff like that. I like how the uh, the demon dragon thing has got his little hand up like, uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, super good. one point, gentlemen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so he says, I like you, fellow, so I'll give you this chance. When I come to take you to hell, I'll have you guess what meal waits for you there, how you shall eat it, and how you shall drink. Guess correctly, and I'll let you go. Let you keep your souls. Dispose of them however you like. You agree? And they say, we do. What? Really? You guys said yes to that, Hellboy asked? I know, that seems... <laughs> we sold our souls for gold, and a few years, and tonight at midnight, our time is up, Dulos says. Yeah, that's a problem, Hellboy responds. <laughs> I don't know what became of the others. We went our separate ways, Dulas says. I lived my life and went out this evening prepared to leave it. And I nearly stepped on a snake. 
And so we see this snake come up and it says, Jules Dula, come with me. But did you notice anything in that panel? Uh, of course yeah. I did. I was like, when I turned this, I was like, oh, this is why you wanted us to read Screw on Head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, we see the statue of the magician and the snake, which we saw in the, the Amazing shapes, Screw on Head. Yeah, yeah with the shapes. He's saying on top of the shapes. So I like that little detail there. And I was wondering, is this snake the snake from that story? Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Because at the end of that story, the magician gave the snake all of his abilities. Right, cool. right. Yeah. Wizard snake. Right? And so I feel like it's magic snake. Wizard, Wizard snake. snake. Yeah. <laughs> Wizard snake. <laughs> we need some fan art for that now, please. <laughs> yes, we need Absolutely. a Wizard snake fan art. Yeah. Yes, with the with the shapes. Dulas says that the snake led him there. He told him that he'd find the devil's grandmother living in a tomb and that she'd help him. No doubt you think I'm a lunatic, Dulas tells Hellboy. I don't know, Hellboy says. I've seen a lot of weird stuff. And through here could be what you're looking for. You think so? And they cross through this threshold. I really love this, too, because I'm like, where are they going? They're just kind of walking down this path. They go through this kind of, like, doorway. And then they're in this weird kind of cemetery, overgrown statues and all these tendrils of vines. And it's just so amazing. Yeah. This is one you really need to have the issues when you're looking at this because I just can't do it justice, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it is something beautiful to see. And if you get a chance, definitely get a look at it in the library edition. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And so we reveal this huge cemetery. We know Mignola loves his graveyards and crooked tombstones. Yeah. He, so really, this, he really went ham on this This one. must be like a dream come true yeah. for him to have almost like a half page <laughs> yeah. of just this. How am I supposed to find her in all that? It's not possible, Dula says. Captain Dula, a voice says. And these two skeletons come up, and they're wearing soldiers' uniforms. He doesn't remember us, one says to the other. Of course, he's a captain, and what are we, the other asks. It's true, it's true. Nothing of consequence. Jeez, Hellboy responds. <laughs> I, I love, love these Hellboy. two. Yeah, I love these two skeletons though, and there is just something about this Mignola dialogue too. So I love the way all these characters talk. Yes. Yeah, this is this is what I meant by like a children's book. Yeah. Like it's really cute. These <laughs> yes. guys are cute. I love them. And and Hellboy says geez all the time, but it just feels different here. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> the skeleton soldiers they lead Hellboy and Dula through the cemetery. You know who I'm looking for, Dula asks? Did a snake send you? That's a funny thing to say. One of the soldiers responds. (laughs) (laughs) Did the snake send you? (laughs) The soldiers mention missing the captain at Brasina, and the captain says that he deserted at Smolensk. The Battle of Smolensk was the first major battle of the French invasion of Russia. It took place in August 1812 and involved 45,000 to 50,000 men and 84 guns of the Grand Army under Emperor Napoleon I against 35,000 Russian troops and 108 guns under General Barclay de Tolly. The French artillery bombardment burned the city to the ground. With over 20,000 casualties, it was one of the bloodiest battles of the invasion. And so that battle was followed three months later in November at the Battle of Beresina between the French army of Napoleon and the Russian armies. The battle ended with a mixed outcome. The French suffered heavy losses but managed to cross the river and avoid being trapped. Since then, Beresina has been used in French as a synonym for disaster. 
And so these are the two battles that they're talking about here. So I do like that, too. And so we can probably say that they're French soldiers from these battles. Again, that historical fiction piece, I love that. And regarding Dulaw's desertion from them, the skeleton soldier says, The captain will have to make peace with his own soul for that. My soul, the captain whispers. And we see that statue with the green eye again. You know, I love that pacing right there. Yeah. Hang on, Hellboy says. What is? So they see something in the distance. And then when we turn the page, we just see like this giant creature monster across the way from the cemetery. This was such an unsettling thing to say (laughs) about it, too, because he goes... I don't know what that is, but I'm sure it's not good to look at it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That honestly creeped me out to no end. It's an endless parade of horrors, Dula whispers. Pretty much, Hellboy says, striking a match and lighting a cigarette. I forget where this happened, but it was several episodes back when there was a similar scene where somebody said, yeah, you probably shouldn't look at it. And I was like, oh, that reminds me of something coming oh, up. Oh, you're right. It was in um, BPRD Grind. Wasn't it in that one? But this is the scene it reminded me of. Yeah, and I, I, I just got to shout out uh, Jerry Turnbull here because, you know, um, not to get all serious or whatever, but whenever, like, bad shit is happening in the media and stuff like that, Jerry Turnbull would just post these two panels that says, it's an endless parade yeah, of horrors, pretty, pretty much. much. Yeah, and I right. just feel like that's uh, yeah, very that's very appropriate right now. <laughs> yeah, but um, anyway, I just love that. I just love those two panels. Very good. The third panel, you could even lead in there, too, because these guys just look like they're going, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the two skeleton soldiers, they point over to this cemetery door, or it's like maybe the entrance to a mausoleum or something like that. That's the feeling I got, that it was a mausoleum entrance. Yeah. And so I love the pacing, too, as they get closer to this iron door. You know, there's a lot of um, nice design work there, too. I'm not so sure about this anymore, Dulaw says. It's all right, Hellboy says. If she's in there, just let me do the talking. And so, like, he goes to knock, but the thing just opens. I like that little detail. And he peeks in, and he's like, hello? And then so we cut over, and we get this great panel. We see this woman, and she's sitting at this table. And on the table, there's, like, a skull. But we can see, like, there's a line separating the top and the bottom of the head. So, like, she can lift off the top like a cookie jar or something, right? (laughs) They caught her with her cookie jar. Yeah. (laughs) Hellboy walks in. Ma'am, my friend here has a problem. Apparently, he traded his soul to your grandson for a magic whip, and unless he can guess what's for dinner, he's going to be screwed. A talking snake told him you might be able to help him out. <laughs> awesome. Wait, I mean, peak Hellboy. That's a children's book, right? Yeah. Come on. That's awesome. And I love this part because she says, you look familiar. Let me see your hand. And he shows her the right hand of doom, right? That's what's been so important this whole time. But she goes, no, your other hand. Your knife hand. Oh, wow. And we're reminded of that clang panel. We know now it's been revealed that he killed Satan. And then we see his hand and there's like a little blood dripping from it. So I'm wondering like, wow. because he did that, is there always like a drip of blood coming from it his hand? It won't come off. It won't come off. Yeah. Maybe he just needs to wash his hands. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but remember like in Hellboy in Hell, 
he was told you're nothing anymore. Like nobody cares about that anymore. Right. And I thought that that was so interesting that he's like, he, his instinct is to show the right hand right, of doom. Yeah. And she's like, no, the other one, Yeah, because this is what matters now here That's is so that interesting. he killed yeah. Satan. That's yeah. Really cool. And yeah. the fact that they got it across so succinctly like that. Yeah. That's all that they have to do it's to really make that amazing. point. Yeah. She says, I will help you if I can. It so happens the boy is on his way now. Hide yourselves. Be very quiet and listen. And so we see that dragon devil guy flying up. And I love the little flup flup of his wings. Yeah, you know, that's really flup. cute. Hellboy's like, where are we supposed to hide? And so I love this too. There's a lot of storytelling here. So in the first panel, this woman's like raising her hand. On the second panel, we see her hand is casting this giant shadow over Hellboy and Dulot. And then in the third panel, she's putting them in that cookie jar skull head. I love the way that that yeah. is. Like, there's a lot of magic going on there, but we just don't really see any of it. It reminds me of Strobel in a way, too. It's uh, su- it's such effective storytelling with such minimal. Yeah. Like, it's very. Man. And then good. I think Hellboy sums it up nicely when he says, Didn't see that coming. Right. Yeah. right. I'm like, Damn straight. Neither did I, buddy. And I love that satisfying little clock as she puts the lid on there. Is that one of your very favorite satisfying, panels, Matt? Yeah. Yeah, I love that stuff. <laughs> And then I also love the boom as the dragon lands on the top of the mausoleum. That's kind of a funny panel to me. Yeah. It looks like he's clumsily kind yeah. of crashing down on it. It's, uh, I can't I can't describe it, but it's super cute. There's some like bird movement in yeah, there that's kind of cute. There's yeah. something super adorable about this dragon landing on this building and having it be so awkward. <laughs> the devil, he calls the woman grandmother, but she says she doesn't know him. And then so he transforms down into like a devil guy. You know me now, he asks. My favorite boy, the grandmother says. And she pours some wine for them. The boy devil, he says he can't stay. He's collecting three souls. Surely they'll keep, the grandmother says. Stay a while. How often do I have company? Tell me, how goes it with the world? (laughs) (laughs) So casual. Their world, he asks. Our world, she says. Chaos, he responds. I like these glasses. Yeah, she's got like the... They're like champagne flutes, but they have kind of a little tulip yeah, at the top. Yeah, yeah. It's nice. He tells her how all the princes have fled pandemonium. And those that fled with their armies, once they reached the mountains, the armies turned on them and tore them to pieces. That top panel that with the red background? Yes. Yeah. That's straight from the prologue that we just read. Yeah, it was behind Baba Yaga. Yeah. Yeah. So where did we see that before? I don't know. I was trying to look for it. Uh, let One of our listeners let us know because there's like a statue, but then it also looks like there's a snake on it too, right? Yeah, and they had to have shown that before. Yeah, it has to be one of the other stories. It just represents pandemonium? Mm-hmm. It, I think it represents that there's chaos in hell. Right. And so as he's talking, he mentions a couple of demons here. I want to talk about this. He mentions Agaris. And so Agaris was mentioned in Abe Sapien. Remember that baboon demon Gusion came out and scratched off Strobel's nose? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so that guy had mentioned to Strobel that hell had been overtaken. The console of the fly has fallen. And he mentioned that Agaris was eaten by his steed. He's an old man riding a crocodile carrying a hawk on his fist. Oh, right. And so we saw that. So that's already been mentioned. He also mentions... Semyaza from the Encyclopedia of Demons and Demonology by Rosemary Ellen Gully. He was a leader of the Fallen Angels, one of the Sons of Gods, or Watchers. 
According to Zohar, Semyaza cohabits one of Eve's daughters and produces two sons, Hiwa and Haya, who eat every day a thousand each of camels, horses, and oxen. As punishment for his sins, he hangs upside down in the constellation Orion, suspended between heaven and earth. Yikes. He also mentions Orabas. That was the horse demon that we saw Strobel conjure up in witchcraft and demonology. He also mentions Suriel. Suriel is known as an angel in many beliefs, but in the Book of Enoch, there is a fallen angel, Suriel, who lusted after the daughters of men. That's from Wikipedia. And also, Beleth is mentioned. In demonology, Beleth was a mighty and terrible king of hell who had 85 legions of demons under his command. He rides a pale horse and all kinds of music is heard before him, according to most authors on demonology and most known grimoires. All kinds of music? That's what it said in Wikipedia. So it's like Old Town Roads going. Yeah, there you go. While the sky is... I was going to say, is it like, is it different to each person? Like, would I hear like something yeah. horrible like uh, oh, pop, right. you know, pop 40 hits? Whatever yeah. music you don't like is what you hear. Oh, no. So... Remember oh, no. uh, <laughs> remember way back in BPRD, Cold Day in Hell, that radio tower, it's playing that chant that keeps Vivara at bay, and, right, it was, right. and it was down for a little bit, so Vivara was able to call down into Hell, and then we saw those little demon guys, and those demon guys... Hey, wait, uh, excuse me, something very important is happening, there's a dog going on, <laughs> I need yeah, to know exactly on. what's happening with the dog, please. The street is covered in snow, it is most likely somebody just driving by, a lot more... <laughs> noise than normal it's not a very busy street at all so yeah so cute that's that i like when you post Um, pictures of your dog yes i love your dog dog. so cute so vavara calls down into hell and then she sees she's trying to reach balath but she sees these little demon guys eating him they tell her you know that that hell has been overtaken you know what I mean? She's like, well, you know, come work for me. And she gets those little demon guys to come and possess those people in the radio tower. Right. And then Jerelko has to fight them to save Yosef. And so when those little demons are eating Beleth, we see this panel. So this panel and the art by Snyberg in that story is redrawn here by Mignola. And so nice. Beleth was because Vavara is a demon, right? Yeah. Yam Ye. And she was part of a trinity. And Beleth was part of that trip. oh okay okay yeah fled the city from what the grandmother asks i don't know the devil boy says they say satan himself is dead we get this one little panel of hellboy in the cup listening well interesting times the grandmother says and they clink their glasses i love that little <laughs> panel right there yeah so can i just point out this statue oh. with the floating crown is so fucking creepy and awesome oh yeah i Super love that cool. yeah i think we've Super seen good. that image a couple times i really like and we'll that. see it again coming up the devil boy says the slaves have taken over pandemonium and he's going to use this opportunity to be his own creature He'll keep two of the three souls that he's getting for himself and give one to the grandmother to light her skull lamp. And he taps on it when he's saying that. And then we see from inside <laughs> the lamp, there's like a big tap. I really like Aww. that. Like debris well, is falling from the ceiling. And isn't that like Hellboy's cigarette smoke coming out when he taps it? Oh, you're right. Yeah, oh, he can yeah. see. I, I see your lamp's gone out, but that's Hellboy smoking in there. Oh, yeah. I love that little detail. Thank you for that. It's very Honey, I Shrunk the Kids situation yeah. here. It's yeah. super cute. <laughs> and so I love that she gets him to talk about his plan, how he used the gold whips to buy their souls and how they must guess their meal in hell. So she goes, ha, that they should expect to be fed in hell. And he's like, oh, there is a meal waiting for them. 
This decanter is also so nice. The skull one? No, the the uh, that she's got the wine in. Here. Where is that? Oh yeah, yeah, you do see really, it. Really, really beautiful set. There's like a little design across it. So loving I the love rendered that. sketchbook too. Okay, okay. When I uh, was reading it last night, I was for a brief second I thought, does she got a bong on her? <laughs> <laughs> little details like that are so pleasant. They are. I just really Thank like you for that, pointing that yeah. out. I didn't notice that. I'd like some of that hell wine. Looks tasty. Yeah. The devil, maybe it's blood. I don't know. I, mean, I just assumed it was wine. Blood wine. Blood wine. And the devil boy says there is a meal waiting for them. In the Great North Sea, there's a dead rabbit fish. They'll have that for their meat. For fork and knife, they'll have a whale's rib bone. And for a wine glass, they'll have a hollow horse's hoof. Dulo hears it. He's like, that's it. And so the grandmother's like, oh, you're so clever. But let me pour you another. And he's like, oh, I really shouldn't. And she's like, stay a while. And he's like, oh, well, I'll only stay for one more. And we hear them clink again. And then he's passed out. <laughs> I love that. Nice. <laughs> well, I was just assuming that she just talked him into another and another and another. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the grandmother, she's like, best hurry. He won't sleep long. And so in, from inside the little cookie jar, Dulo says, God bless you, madame. I don't know what I would have. And then there's just like these orange panels and so just as quickly as she got them in there we see she opens the jar there's a thud a krang and then they're outside and all those panels are red like she was she she fucking insulted her so bad god bless you in hell wow rude that would be like stick it up your ass madam after she did this huge favor for them yeah and hellboy's like yeah, I don't know if God bless you was the way to go, but you got what you were looking for. Oh, man. <laughs> How do I find my way back from here? And then we see the devil boy. He, like, woke up now, and he's flying off to collect the souls. But I'm here, Dulo says. What does that mean? Am I too late? And then all of a sudden, the snake appears again, the wizard snake. Not too late. If you're ready to come with me now. And he's like, yes, I am ready. And not a moment too soon, the snake says, you hear... Already the bells are beginning to toll your fatal hour. Bong. Midnight, Dulo says. And now he's a skeleton. I love that transition yeah, like in that instant. Yeah. The grandson changed from like a dragon to, to a demon boy, right? Yeah. That's one sort of uh, example of people in hell or things in hell having two forms mm-hmm. or more than one form. This guy turning into a skeleton at the end is another example that we will see coming up again more and more it's very key it's very important because it gives me the impression that people can project their appearance as the way they saw themselves while alive ah okay but they actually look a lot worse because they're dead right Mm -hmm. so this guy is actually a skeleton but there's there's an effect that he puts out where he projects his appearance based on how he should look. Right, right. And so at the beginning, when he says to Hellboy, you look like you've knocked around a bit, he might be seeing Hellboy differently than the way we see Hellboy. Oh, that might be how I Hellboy thinks of himself. I love that, right? Matt. We're going to, yes, yes. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Great point there. See, that's what happens when you read these things too much. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it feels like the readers add a lot of glory to right. the storytelling techniques. But then other times there's moments where you're like, no, they planned it. That yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hellboy wishes Dulo good luck. Thank you, my friend, Dulo says. But tell me, this has all been a dream, hasn't it? 
How can I trust anything that happens in a dream? He asks. What have you got to lose? Hellboy responds. <laughs> and then so there's a bong. I love this panel. The snake kind of wraps up Dulo. I'm going to miss him, one of the skeleton soldiers says. So am I. And so Hellboy turns around and he sees him. He's like, oh, you guys stuck around. We're out of our <laughs> graves now, one of them says. And no desire to go back. So we thought we might go with you. And so Hellboy awesome. just lights the match, lights his cigarette. Don't suppose you guys know where we can get a drink around here. He Drinking asks. with Skellington. <laughs> yes, In awesome. Hell. A favorite pastime. And so again, we see the magician and the snake statue from Amazing Screw on Head. And this is where our story began, right? So like it started there and now this is where he ends up and the snake appeared. And so like, did this all happen in an instant? You know what I mean? This whole story like just happened in in an an instant while he was standing there on that step in front of the statue. Well, I feel like I mean, he died in 1819. How is he with Hellboy presently? Right. Yeah. That's why there's no, like, actual time yeah. in hell, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, your dog my dog ah. again. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. No, it's awesome. Great. That's fine. We love that's it. That's probably actually the mailman. <laughs> <laughs> For him, I mean, if you were to observe it as an outside observer, I would say, like, you know, if you were to see him walk down the stair, yeah, it probably would have happened in an instant. But for him, it didn't happen in an instant. Right, you know? right. Uh, he did go to hell. He did have that adventure, and he did come back. Yeah. So, so maybe like after he saved his soul, it hit reset and went back to the point where he died. Right. Right. And erased that time in hell. I I hope that's what happened because nobody wants to be in hell. <laughs> and on this last panel, we see Dulo collapsed under the statue, and it says Jules Eugene Dulo died in Paris at midnight, August seventh, eighteen nineteen. On the stone wall near his body, someone or something had etched these words, his soul, his own. Yeah, I love that. Great story. How many different copies of these do you have there? You don't have like a printed version somewhere where you can line up the first panel from the first story of the first panel of the second story? If you line that up to this panel, not lining up the page, but lining up that thick plume of smoke it lines up perfectly i see that yeah i do see that that is so cool thank you for pointing that out that is so awesome i wonder if it's part of a large like um i know i started to think who has the time but if you go back through (laughs) can you line up all the cityscapes but i think this is just telling us that hellboy hasn't left that spot right like he's back in that same area yeah yeah and we see that statue that we keep seeing in Pandemonium with the floating crown. That's the one that Danielle was talking about earlier. Oh, yeah. I love this panel. It's incredible. And so this is Hellboy and Hell- the Death Card. This was a one-shot published in May 2014, five months after the last issue. So that's why there was that prologue right here. Damn. <laughs> the Death Card was also given to the second Hellboy and Hell trade paperback. Story and art by Mignola, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. And so we open again, like Matt said, somewhere in hell, and we see the statue from Pandemonium. Hellboy was looking for a drink at the end of the Three Gold Whips, and here he's found one. He sits in a bar with the two dead soldiers from the last story, and these agreeable fellows. Well, sir, this is your lucky day, one of them says. Really, Hellboy asks? Absolutely. You're not likely to find two more agreeable fellows who happen also to be authorities on the geography of hell, one of them says. It's true, the other says. We're making a map. Map, and then we see those dead soldiers there. They're hanging out as well. These two guys 
are also conducting interviews with various demonic persons to write the definitive history of hell. And Hellboy asks if he can see their map. They haven't committed it to paper yet, but they describe it to him. Hell is essentially a great bowl with water at the bottom. The Stygian Sea. And so we also talked about this in our last Hellboy and Hell episode. This refers to the River Styx of the Underworld, or Hades in Greek mythology. At the center of that, the Lake of Fire. And at the center of that, Pandemonium. They've got sense that something weird is happening over there, but they don't know what. But Hellboy does, and so do we. And there's that panel right there of Hellboy's face, and I feel like that's what he's thinking about, you know, in his head. And the art is just amazing as they describe this. Um, And we see a lot of familiar imagery, because we've seen the burning lake, and then within it is pandemonium. We've seen them kind of like pan into that. But it's also good that they just like outright describe it. All around the sea are cities of hell, or more like one singular sprawling city. It's a maze, and these two chaps haven't been able to get out. Beyond the city are impassable forests, unclimbable mountains, a frozen wasteland, and then the abyss as the rim of the bowl. And I love those panels, too, as they kind of take us through all those different environments. Mignola is just killing it on this art here. And that's it, Hellboy asks. That's kind of grim. You'll get used to it, one of these guys says. Everyone does. The sad truth is most will forget they ever... And then they're interrupted by this guy. Gentlemen, and we see this shadowed figure. Sorry to interrupt. I was wondering if... When you're finished, I might interest you in a game of cards. And he has a green word bubble and red eyes. And then we see those two agreeable fellows, and now they're skeletons. And this is kind of what you were talking about, Matt, in the last issue. And one of them says, Mr. Jenks, I've just remembered we're late for an appointment. Right you are, Mr. Dean. Sorry. So they book it out of there. They're like, when that guy shows up, they're like, "Uh uh-oh, we are booking it, right? We're not going to be part of this. And so they refer to themselves as Mr. Jenks and Mr. Dean. And so I want to talk about this. So back when we read Witchfinder, Lost and Gone Forever, there in issue four, Edward Gray is in a bar having a drink with Mary, and they're discussing their backstories. And when he's in the bar, we get this one odd panel that is just there, and we see these two guys, and one of them says, Hollow Earth, Mr. Jinx? It's a strange world, Mr. Dean, the other says. Damn strange. Look at these two guys. Oh, show, show oh, Danielle. Shit. Those are the Skellingtons. Oh, okay. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, so we've seen these two guys before in that odd panel from Witchfinder in the Service of Angels. Did I say Lost of God Forever earlier? Anyway, it's in the Service of Angels. And so I like that we come back to those two characters. And I was actually asking Mark Tweedo because I couldn't remember where we had seen them prior. And I so met, sent him a message. And Mark Tweedell said, Mignola has mentioned he has plans for these two agreeable chaps. Yeah, so hopefully we'll see them again in the future. Maybe they'll finally get their map done. Yeah. This shadowed figure, he then asked Hellboy to play cards. Why not, Hellboy responds. You look sort of familiar. Have we met before? And then we see a panel of the statue of John the Baptist in Prague. So did you remember this already when you saw the statue? What was coming up? Oh. I did. <laughs> so, because this panel yeah, is this, yeah. this panel is kind of teasing us about what's about to happen. You know, I, out further respect, I should have, but I mean, my first thought was like he was a uh, part of Rasputin for some reason. Oh, okay, okay. What are we playing, Hellboy? Ass. It doesn't matter. The figure says, 
All games are the same to me. And he deals Hellboy the death card. And then he tackles him. You remember me now? And so it's the Vampire of Prague. Jack, yes. <laughs> we discussed Vampire of Prague by P. Craig Russell way back in our episode 9 Hellboy Short Stories Part 3. And so Hellboy fought him then, and so now he's in hell. And we'll get a little bit more reminders as we go through this story. And so he tackles Hellboy, and he flies Hellboy up through the ceiling. The two soldiers and a smoking monkey are left in the bar. Where did he go? One of the soldiers asks. Who knows, the monkey responds. That other one comes in here sometimes, and there's always trouble. Who is he? The other soldier asks. And so that smoking monkey, I was wondering... Is this, um, this might be the same smoking monkey from Hellboy and BPRD 1952? <laughs> or maybe, um, or maybe it's Count Guarino from Box Full of Evil. He's, oh. or there was a monkey in Magician and the Snake. That was the king that he was. I think Mike Mignola just likes to draw a monkey smoking the king, cigarettes. The king in Magician and the Snake was also a monkey. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I think that's just, I think that's all there is to it. I love that. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> and so as they tell his backstory, we see this image of like this plague skeleton holding the coffin. So those who are familiar with the Baltimore series, they, they show this a lot in that series to symbolize the plague. He was the verger of St. Peter's in the old city of Prague, a gambler who had the misfortune to live in the time of the plague. Madman and fool, when he could find no living to play against him, he struck up a game with the dead, for that he was cursed to living death. And so this was all described in that Vampire of Prague short story. And so we get some good imagery here. And what I love is like Vampire of Prague wasn't by Mignola, but here we get to see the vampire drawn by Mignola. So I just love that, how it kind of wraps around. We see the vampire flying over the city with Hellboy after crashing through the ceiling and he drops him on the roof of a building or something. Hellboy crashes into the structure and Hellboy says he remembers him. Where the hell are you? here and the vampire like appears behind him and like swalks him across the face i like that little kind of like batman horror moment or whatever that's the jump scare in this horror part of the movie and just like in that short story vampire of Prague, they have this like this extended fight scene the vampires clobbering hellboy around and we had that comment earlier where they said you know hellboy appeared like he had been battered a little bit back in the bar we see the soldiers and the monkey And one of them picks up the death card and looks at it. He says, Hellboy, do you think we'll ever see him again? I should think not, the monkey says. I'm going to miss him, the soldier says. (laughs) He keeps saying that, right? Yeah. The soldiers, they said that about the guy in the last issue, right? Yeah, Dulo. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Everyone they meet, they're going to miss. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We see Hellboy. He's hit off the building. And we see him fall down to the ground, and then suddenly they're, like, in Prague. So is this, like, you know, they're in some hell version of Prague or whatever. And just like in Vampire of Prague, you remember in the opening of that story, there were all these ghosts floating around. My explanation for this is hell is uh, super weird. Yeah. It's like a weird dreamlike thing. I don't think the vampire is dead. Right. And so he may have some power. You know, oh, so he's taken, yeah, because we see all these like ghosts flying around these different ghosts in the Vampire of Prague story. And then here we kind of see a similar thing. 
It says, The dust of Rabbi Lowe's Gollum lies quiet in the attic of the old new synagogue, but at night her courtyard, passageways, and narrow streets give over to her restless dead. And we see all the ghosts flying up. This is a reference to the most famous Gollum. This narrative revolves around General Lowe Ben Bazeo, the late 16th century rabbi of Prague, also known as Maharo, who reportedly created a Gollum out of clay from the banks of the Flitiana River and brought it to life through rituals and Hebrew incantations to defend the Prague ghetto from anti-Semitic attacks. The Gollum was called Yosef or Yosel. It was said that he could make himself invisible and summon spirits from the dead. Rabbi Lowe deactivated the golem on friday evenings by removing the shem before the sabbath began to let it rest one friday evening the rabbi low forgot to remove the shem and feared that the golem would desecrate the sabbath a different story tells of the golem falling in love and when rejected becoming a violent monster seen in most accounts some versions have the golem eventually going on a murderous rampage everyone needs to read joe golem oh okay that's another yeah mignola title yeah, it's a good one. And um, I love these Mignola ghosts. He mentions burning men, iron men, monks and nuns, headless actresses, hairy-faced prostitutes, stranglers, murderers, and victims of murder. No city in Europe is home to a more dreadful collection of tormented souls, phantoms, and specters. And so this was, there was a similar kind of description in the Vampire of Prague story. And so we see Hellboy, he goes up to that puppet shop. Again, we saw this in the Vampire of Prague story. I like this little detail. You see those red eyes behind him in the darkness following him. And he goes up, he sees the Vampire of Prague puppet, and he's like, you're some kind of sore loser, pal. And we're reminded of the full house dumbass Uh comment from that Vampire of Prague story. And then he turns around and the big bat is behind him. And again, they have this battle He pushes him in through the puppet shop and Hellboy gets tangled up in all the puppet strings and he starts having to battle all these different puppets that look like golems and skeletons. And so I was wondering what's happening here. All of a sudden he sees a devil puppet. So I don't don't think this is a battle. Okay. I think he's just tangled up in puppets and they appear to be attacking him. Oh, and he's just swatting them around, right? Yeah, I don't think they're alive. Right? Oh, okay. I think he's just kind of spooked himself, maybe. Right. Because, I mean, he was in the middle of a fight. Yeah. Now he's tangled. Now he's surrounded by things in the dark. I think he's just fighting his way out for no reason. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, but what is happening with this devil puppet? So it, like, appears, and the whole color palette changes as well. And it, like, gets closer and closer to Hellboy. And as it gets closer and closer, he's like, crap. And then there's, like, an explosion. So was it like a bomb or something or what what happened right there? I don't know, good question. Yeah. And I it, think the vampire has some sort of power down here. Right, right. Well, there I, you go. I don't know. I think that he just like he was just looking at it and he kind of realized there's this sort of realization there. Something's happening they, there. Yeah. yeah. They showed the vampire's puppet at the last second, yeah. right? Yeah. And then when you turn the page, it starts to zoom in. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think he just blew the place up. Yeah. Right, right. Really cool. What, I love though, that. I mean, yeah. And so um, a very rare sketch, Mignola did one piece of just this devil puppet. And Ryan Yule has it. He showed oh, me a picture awesome. of it. Yeah, oh, it's really cool. I could have nice. guessed that. Next yeah. time, say, guess who has it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'll say, Ryan Yule. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we're reminded of how that Vampire of Prague story ended 
the vampire, like, when everything was, all these th- different things were bonging. You remember that? And, like, a, a rooster came out and was, like, cawing and all this kind of stuff. It was very cartoony. And the thing got all disoriented and smashed into the side of this John the Baptist statue and, like, fizzled out. And so we're reminded of that here, too. And Hellboy says, full house. What did you have? A straight? But when we see Hellboy here, he looks all like this is the battered version of Hellboy. And I think he this looks is what, emaciated. Right? This is what you were yeah. kind of talking about, Matt, is like the way that he sees him versus like how he really is. And maybe when there was this big explosion or whatever, the vampire of Prague is doing to mess with his head. Like it's revealed some truth afterwards. And we see the vampire of Prague. He's like this giant now on top of a statue. You set me free, he says, and this is my paradise where the sun never rises. No cock crows. No church bell ever rings. This is my... And then all of a sudden a church bell rings. Bong! And then just like in that last story, he gets all disoriented and it keeps bonging and bonging and all that kind of stuff. He's like, bastard, as he flies away. And then so we reveal this phantom priest and he approaches Hellboy and he's got his like disciples behind him. Well, he was wrong at least about the bell. Nice, Hellboy says. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's hard to understand, the phantom priest says, a creature like that. He was a man once, but he is so corrupted, he no longer has any desire for heaven. He is not chained to this place, but dwells here of his own free will. Praise the Lord that even here, even as I am, I am given power over such a monster. I only wish it was power enough to make him see the error of his ways. Ha! The vampire says as he's like flying away, that little bat. And I love that. He's like, I'll never see the error of my ways. <laughs> you know, I read something one time. I assume it was a Hell Notes, but it was by Mark Tweedale. Mm-hmm. That in this universe, lesser vampires turn into bats, while vampires with a higher status turn into birds of prey. Oh, right. Yeah, we did see some of that in, um, we have seen vampires turn into birds, I think, in um, Wake the Devil. Yeah, Jurassic. So so I think this guy is still, as far as vampires are concerned, lesser status. He's just a fucking nuisance. Yeah, but, well, so he's in hell, so he can thrive a little bit. But he's still a coward, right? Yeah. (laughs) We focus in on the priest's flag, and there's this symbol... And so this is the symbol for Our Lady of Sorrow. And so what it says here is Our Lady of Sorrows, pray for us. The Seven Sorrows of Mary are a popular Roman Catholic devotion. In common religious Catholic imagery, the Virgin Mary is portrayed in a sorrowful or lacrimating affect with one or seven long knives or daggers piercing her heart. And so we kind of see this here too. Often bleeding. Devotional prayers that consist of meditation began to elaborate on her seven sorrows based on the prophecy of Simeon. Common examples of piety under this title are Servite Rosary or the Chaplet of the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady and the Seven Joys of Mary. And more recently, Sorrowful and Immaculate Heart of Mary. And so the Immaculate Heart or the Burning Heart of Mary was also referenced in Hellboy in Mexico. Remember Esteban had a tattoo on his chest. And then when he turned into Camazots, it turned into a green heart with a snake wrapped around it. Hellboy says, well, he finally had it in for me, so I guess I owe you one. What's your name, he asks. I do not remember, the priest says. I do not remember the man I was. The man they dragged screaming from the pulpit. The man they tied to the bell from his own church and threw into the sea. That man was of the world. I am here. 
and here I minister to the damned. And he turns into like a skeleton there too. And Hellboy's well, like, geez, yeah. Underwater. Yeah. He's tied to the bell. There's all these fish all of a sudden. But that statue shows that they're still in the same location in hell. This is just uh-uh. now we see them as they really are. And as of this page, Hellboy has a gaping hole in his chest. Yeah, we can see that where Nimoy oh. pulled the heart out. Yeah. I've seen a million souls drawn out like serpents, the priest says. And so this panel is really horrifying too, right? Yeah. Thrown down into the lake of fire to burn forever. But lately, I have seen the other as well. And so we see this woman and she says, forgive me. And then her inside of her dead face alights. And then we see a little bird fly out, right? And so, it's your soul, right? Yeah, yes, soul yeah. Free. And so, yeah. remember, like in uh, we've seen this kind of imagery so many times. My most memorable one for me is in the end of the Third Wish, yeah. where they open all those jars where the Bogarus was keeping the souls that gave her power. Me, that's and they exactly tu- what I thought about when they I was... turned into these birds that flew out yes, like yeah. this. The priest says, "So I know that even here there is hope." And we see that bird fly out. So, like this made me think of the ending of the last Hellboy and Hell story that we read. There was these shots at the end of just these people sitting there throughout hell. And we were like, are these dead bodies or are they they people just hanging out? And I think that those are people that they've they've been able to get their souls to go to heaven or whatever to turn into these birds. This panel here of the soul bird flying towards a break in the sky is yeah, so moving. Yeah. It's really... Yeah, so thank you for mentioning that. We see all the hell sky is like covered in darkness and clouds, but there is this one spot and that's where the bird is flying towards. Yeah, I love that. I just I just have to think that hell's laws have been disrupted. Yeah. Satan's dead, most of hell's on earth, all the lords or whatever, they're all dead, all the high demons, their right. armies turned against them. And there might be like a small window here where if your soul was promised to the devil, well, who's he? Where's he? Right. You know? Yeah. Maybe your soul can be released now if you seek forgiveness. Oh, I love that. Even the idea of that it's okay to have hope even when it seems hopeless. Yeah. Just a very basic ideas beautiful super cool but the commentary on this last page says otherwise for our hero right right Right. yeah that is true that is very very ominous on top of that hopefulness yeah Yeah. might not be for everyone and the priest says perhaps there is even hope for you my son but i know you must feel it the darkness closing around you threatening to consume you forever i feel fine considering hellboy says (laughs) <laughs> and uh, we see, uh, and so just like he saw the priest in his death version, we see Hellboy with that hole in his chest and a heart behind him because that's how he died. You are brave or maybe just willfully blind, the priest says. And then we get this one panel. I want to talk about this where there's just like a red face. We see the bottom of face and it just says murder. And you can see that it has these horns kind of curling up on the sides of his face. So who is this character? Maybe we'll find out soon. There's a little mysterious panel, yeah. Mysterious. I guessed it who it was. Does anyone know who it was? Because when I first read this, I was like, "Oh, that's." Do do you have a guess? Does anyone have a guess? Do you have a guess? My guess is Link Nimoy. Okay, what do you have a guess? It's. I thought it was that uh, that lady demon from uh, which one? The Midnight Circus. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, she did oh, kind of have right. those. I forgot about her. She kind of had those curling horns like that. Wow, Danielle, you're awesome. You you've been paying attention. What? <laughs> you remembered. <laughs> I completely <laughs> forgot about that lady because we haven't seen her since the Midnight Yeah, Circus. we haven't. Yeah, but you think about she was with Astaroth, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Interesting. Very interesting stuff. The but, way he says, or maybe just woefully blind, that is kind of Hellboy's that thing. That is. That's I his. Mean, he's been in denial <laughs> on purpose for oh, yeah. a long time. Either way, I will pray for you, the priest says, and hope that we may meet again someday. And he bongs his bell and disappears into the darkness. The end. Yeah, I really love that. And so um, I do want to talk about the sketchbook section in a sec. I didn't see what's in the omnibus version for this story, but I did look in the library edition. Oh, let me get the library. So in the library edition, I'm looking at page 296. And so here we see some studies for the three gold whips, and we see Mignola designing the historical uniforms for the German and French armies, because he's going to reference those battles. We also see him sketching out the little demon guy and the grandmother. Mignola writes, The three gold whips is loosely based on Grimm's fairy tale, The Devil and His Grandmother. It's one of those stories I've been wanting to adapt for ages, but until I sent him to hell, I didn't see any way to do it as a Hellboy story. And so The Devil and His Grandmother is a German fairy tale collected by the Brothers Grimm, number 125. Andrew Yang also included it in the Yellow Fairy book, which I believe we've also referenced on this podcast somewhere. And it's basically the story. Mignola has made a few changes in the book. It's not a rabbit fish for the meal, but a sea cat. The story was also featured in Grimm's Fairy Tale Classics, a late 80s cartoon under its Grimm Masterpiece Theater season, where the story was referred to as The Naughty Spirit. Oh, and we do see that decanter. Danielle, look at that. Nice. Yeah, right? Every, it's nice. Uh, it's got a really nice design on it. And then there's also the design for the, the skull little yeah. skull cookie jar thing. <laughs> Super cute. Wow, I really love that. And then we also get some studies for the death card. The Vampire Gambler of Prague. This drawing was based on a creepy puppet I found for the first time in Prague, Mignola writes. For the vampire's origin in the story, I stuck pretty close to the actual Gambler of Prague legend. This was a little book that came with the puppet. But in the book, he just became a ghost. I upgraded him to a vampire. And then we see all the little puppets. He said, I originally planned to have a bunch of puppets in the Prague puppet shop, but realized, thank God, that would make the fight scene way too confusing. Also, having other puppets in elaborate costumes would make the gambler puppet less special. And then we also see all those different ghosts of Prague. And so he drew like a lot of different versions of these. He says, I spent a lot of time in Prague working on the first Hellboy film and I saw a lot of weird stuff, but sadly no ghosts. I designed way more ghosts than I needed, but as with the bugs, statues, and puppets, drawing them was too much fun. We also see some great sketches of the Phantom Priest's entourage. Sadly, I didn't have the room to show off these guys with the pointed hoods, and the poor altar boy didn't even make the book at all. And so we see he very intricately designed them as well. Yes, I really like that. That was pretty cool. Yeah, so that was great to come back to Hellboy and Hell. Did you read your? Did you look at your library edition, Aubrey, to look at all this? Of course, that's how you told me to read it. Yeah, I'm not yeah. allowed. <laughs> I am not allowed to read the digital first. <laughs> and when we moved, I made sure that it did not go in the box of my other comics that I saw. Oh, okay, cool. So I, I know exactly where it was and read it that way. Well, one quick note on the different versions, because let's face it, every. Hellboy Universe comic has like what seven different versions yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah. Um so I have the single issues, the trade paperback, and the Hellboy Library edition. 
Okay. Hellboy in Hell Library Edition. Right. That one green panel where right at the end there where um, the guy's tied to the bell and they're underwater oh, all yeah. of a sudden. Yeah. I was comparing that panel in all three versions. And now the single issues are on like glossy paper. But that color is truer to the library edition than it is in the trade paperback, which would have come out sooner. So different paper, sure. But also made me wonder if they use, and this is like a nerdy production art thing, but made me wonder if they use different printers for different books. Like, uh, I think it's fair to say that maybe the single issues are digitally printed. And that gives you a different feel. But the library edition is most likely offset printed and could be at a completely different vendor or Mm. facility, print facility. But it's weird how the color matches better to what was probably printed digitally and on glossy paper. Right. So anyway, I just kind of nerded out over the the differences in color tone there. I love that. But it's always, but you know. So just think about it from Dave Stewart's point of view. It's like every time you open a book, it's like, what are my colors going to look like now? Or are they having him do like across the board adjustments depending on the paper Yeah. or where where it's going to be printed? And they go, oh, you know, these guys always put down more ink than right, the other guys right. or whatever. Right. So I don't know. It's just interesting to think about that. And when you have so many different versions, yeah. you know, like we were saying, there's also digital then it gives you a chance to explore that a little bit. Yeah, I really love that. Thank you for mentioning that. We're, we've got it pulled up here. You want to describe that, Aubrey? Yeah. Okay, so we're looking at it like right now. With the digital and the library edition. And the panel on the digital is cut off slightly. Slightly it oh, is that, cut off. That one underwater panel? Yeah. yeah, there's a little bit more on there in the library edition. That is really interesting. And the color is a little bit more vibrant in the library edition. Like it's it, it appears a little brighter. The tones mm. are the same, but it just looks like brighter. I guess just well, the, the uh, brightness on your screen also is probably yeah. part of that. Yeah. Oh, so I bet the book takes into account a bleed that the digital wouldn't. Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to post some side-by-side comparisons. Thanks, Aubrey, for doing that. All right, and it was so great to be back on Hellboy this week. I'm going to be doing a promotion. So I'm going to be doing a little bit of a giveaway this week in honor of coming back to Hellboy in Hell and also our 2020 reading order that we're going to be going through. We're probably going to be finishing a bulk of the series this year. So that's really exciting. So keep your eyes on our social media. And we're going to be trying to, you know, get some reviews and get some new listeners. So keep a watch out for that. And maybe we'll send you something really cool. Yeah. You're going to love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And so uh, I can't wait to listen to all the listener feedback next week. Thanks again for your continued listenership. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Welcome back to hell. Why don't you send us your (laughs) thoughts on the stories of Hellboy and Hell? You can send us a hey, you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link, the reading order, and Adam Hicks chronology all on our Facebook about section. Always a special thank you to uh, Paul from Dr. Han for the amazing music. Thank you, Mark Joel, for always helping out with the reading order. Yes. Thank you, John, for everything. Thank you, everybody, for awesomeness. You can find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we are reading Hellboy in Hell, The Trials of Dr. Hoffman and the Hounds of Pluto. Awesome. So you know what to do, everybody. Sit back, relax, 
Grab your trade, your library, your Omni, your digital, whatever. Library it up and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm a wizard snake. <laughs> and I'm Matt Shrekbein. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, you guys said yes to that? <laughs> <laughs> Magic whips. Classic, classic. <laughs>